100 seconds to midnight. The bearers of unbearable news. Time is almost up until the world is doomed. The hand of this fateful clock has been placed at various positions since its inception more than 70 years ago. But in 2018, it was set at two minutes to midnight. The closest since 1953, at the height of the Cold War. Now the Nobel laureate studded panel has moved it 100 seconds before a climate catastrophe. For the first time in the history of humankind, there is a limit, a physical limit, to our perspectives of development. And nature is striking back. Australia is also featuring in the global conversation. The UK's meteorological office says recent bushfires accounted for one-fifth of an unprecedented global increase in carbon dioxide emissions projected this year. Even if the night is darkest before the dawn, the message is becoming clear. By then, it will be too late. Randolph Nogle, ABC News. So, so the ultimate premier fashion statement status symbol watch is the Rolex watch. Does anyone know where these are handmade? Switzerland, of course. They're handmade, and from start to finish, they take over one year to make a genuine Rolex watch. They're known for their craftsmanship, their authentic, heavy-grade materials. They're known for their precision. When you buy a Rolex, you're not just buying a watch, you're buying a family heirloom. When you buy a Rolex, they start on the low end, $5,000. Some of you, that was a shock. You're thinking, how come the Rolex I got was only 100 bucks? Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> they start at the low end, 5,000. They go up to 75,000. Some are even a little bit higher, but the average Rolex is about 10 to 12,000. So if you see one today and you're able to yank it off someone's wrist, you can sell it for almost the same price they got it, sometimes more. They hold their value, they hold their resale value, and you're literally buying a family heirloom. It's an investment. Uh, Paul Newman's watch was auctioned off, his Rolex, in 2017, and it resold for $1.8 million. It was a pretty good return on his investment. Now, you may be wondering, why am I doing an infomercial on Rolex watches? Well, here's what's funny about Rolex watches. Do you know that Rolex watches are widely sold, but there are more knockoff Rolex watches sold every year than there are genuine Rolex watches? You know, you go to the Big Apple and you go to street corner vendors and they're going to have little kiosks. And on those kiosks, they're almost always selling two things. Sunglasses and watches. And if you look at the kiosk and you find the Rolex watch, can I tell you what you're not getting? If the price is under $1,000, you're not getting a Rolex watch. Now, it may say Rolex, and it may look identical to a Rolex. But I'm telling you what, if it's under $1,000, you're not getting a Rolex watch. And you may notice that after a few years when things begin to fade, and the clock just kind of stops. Because rather than being made in Switzerland, handcrafted, it's made in an assembly line in China, 
with very cheap parts. People that know watches can simply hold a real Rolex in their hand, hold a counterfeit one in the other, and know instantly which is real and which is fake, just by the weight. The irony of this is that in the same way that Rolexes are popular and there's more counterfeits sold than real one, real ones, in the same way, faith is pretty popular across the world, but there's a lot of knockoff and there's a lot of counterfeit and there's a lot of fraudulent faith. And kind of the scary part about that is it's not just like faith around us, it's like faith maybe in us or even in our own church. It's knockoff. And you can't just hold someone and say, yeah, you don't weigh the same as someone with real faith. There's not an evident way to determine what's real or knockoff. But fraudulent, knockoff, counterfeit faith is quite common. In fact, it could be even more common than genuine, authentic faith. And so today we're going to try to learn another test of faith. Two weeks ago, a test of genuine faith is that it, it has fellowship. Rick taught us about koinonia, the ability to be close and to love other people of faith. That's a test of real faith. There's a second test we learned last week, and it's the test of obedience. And we learned that real Jesus followers follow Jesus. But today there's another test. Because real faith, authentic faith, does something that, auth- that fraudulent or counterfeit faith can't. A counterfeit Rolex won't stand the test of time, pardon the pun, and neither will fake faith. Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. One of them had faith that lasted for about three years. And after three years, it was pretty evident his fake was fraudulent and counterfeit. The other 11 had faith that lasted until their death. In fact, they were killed because of their faith and yet held on to it and wouldn't give it up. 10 of those 11 whose faith lasted to their death were killed They were tortured. Some of them were stoned. Some of them were lit on fire. Some of them were crucified. Some of them were beheaded. And only one of those 11 who kept their faith to the end wasn't killed for his faith. Instead, he was exiled to a prison island till he was an old man. His name was John. He was one of the best friends of Jesus Christ. And John ended up writing five of the books in our New Testament, a fair number of them. And one of those five books is the one that we're studying this spring. So if you would meet me in that book called 1 John, and we're going to look at one of the disciples who had faith that lasted till he died. He's writing to Christians across the world as the faith of Jesus is spreading. It's quickly becoming outlawed where it's spreading. So it's kind of a dangerous new movement. People who are choosing to follow Jesus are putting their lives at risk. If you're going to be the real deal, there's going to be consequences. And so John's writing this letter to Christians, sprouting up across the known world, kind of warning them, but encouraging them about what it means to be a genuine 
follower of Jesus, what it means to be a real child of God. And he was helping them deal with some of their identity issues. Who am I? Am I the real deal or am I fake? Am I the real deal or am I fraudulent? Am I the real deal or am I a knockoff? Am I a counterfeit? And John's trying to help them gain confidence in their new faith. So this was written about 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead and left. And John is a wise old man at this point, and he begins to write this. So join me in 1 John 2, no matter if you're here in the room or in one of our other campuses, join us by simulcast, maybe you're online. 1 John 2, we're going to start in verse 18. This is where we left off last week. Here's how he starts. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. In other words, the doomsday clock is counting down. Maybe it's not 100 seconds before midnight, but it's at least at 11 p.m. This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the who is coming, Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Okay, okay, pause here before we get any further. Does it feel like we just jumped into the deep end of a pool? with cinder blocks on our ankles. Some of you are gasping for breath because you hear this, you're like, last hour, antichrist, all this apocalyptic language that John's using, what on earth does he talk about here? I almost feel like I'm on the street corner in New York City. On one side is a street vendor selling fake Rolexes. On the other side is a crazy person with a sign saying the end is near. What is going on here? So, so let's zoom out for a minute, and I want to share with you the big picture, and I think this will help us make sense of what we're going to read next. So here's the big picture, kind of the arc of history from the history of the Word of God. In the beginning, what existed? Only God. God is the only uncreated being in the entire universe. He's the only uncreated thing. There was God. There was no one. There was nothing. And God decided to go on a creative spree, and he invented galaxies and the Milky Way and Earth, and he filled the Earth with living beings. But in the process of all that, he also created beings we don't know a whole lot about, but they were angelic beings. They were messengers that he would use to ferry messages from his throne to Earth. They would guard his throne. They, they would protect his people. And as he did this amazing work of creation, one of his better creations was his number two, his right-hand man, the, the, the chief angel. And that number two was meant to guard the throne of God. But one day the number two realized he didn't like being number two. He wanted to be number one. And so he initiated a coup in heaven trying to overthrow God. Well, how do you think that's going to go down? When a created being tries to throw down the creator, well, it didn't work, obviously. But pride knows no limits. And so what God did is he expelled number two from heaven. And unfortunately, a lot of angelic beings decided they were going to follow number two. A third of all the angels followed him in this rebellion. They were kicked out of earth. They were kicked out, kicked out of heaven, I'm sorry, kicked down to earth. And they've been causing problems down here ever since. And so kind of the bizarre part of this behind the scenes, big picture story that I'm telling you is that there is this unseen battle that's being waged all around us right now 
of good versus evil, of light versus dark. It's kind of like a Star Wars thing. If I was Rick, I would go further into the Star Wars things, but I don't understand Star Wars, so I won't. But, it, but it's just this idea of, of the good versus the evil, and they're battling, they're duking it out, and if our eyes could be opened right now, even to see in this room or wherever you're watching from, you would probably never be the same. If you could see these beings that are duking it out outside of our dimension and sight, but right here with us, duking it out for our souls, duking it out for our attention, duking it out that the truth wouldn't hit your heart today. Like it's happening here right around us today. And so there's this, there's this cosmic thing going on where there's a rebellion, there's a third of all the angelic beings that have joined the rebellion, and Satan, the number two, got all these angelic beings to join his rebellion, and now he's trying to enlist human beings to join his rebellion, and he's doing a pretty good job. So, so that's kind of behind the scene, and many of you have heard of this concept of an antichrist. And if you know prophecy, you know that at the, at the end of time, before the apocalypse, there's going to be the rise of the Antichrist, empowered by the number two, empowered by that guy, that, that being, and it's going to be one final coup attempt to overthrow God from his throne. Will it succeed? Of course not, but it's going to be an attempt. It'll be the final attempt, and it'll be squashed pretty decisively. Now, if you're interested in this cosmic battle, if you're interested in end time stuff, the book you want to read is the book of Revelation. It's the last book in your Bible. Have fun. Crazy stuff. Challenging to understand. If you do it and you want more teaching on it, in 2017, four years ago, we extensively walked through that book. And you can go back and you can watch the messages throughout 2017 and study all this apocalypse. But here, you notice that John is not talking about the Antichrist. Who does John talk about? He said, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists, plural, have come. So there's something going on here that's a little bit beyond maybe what we studied in Revelation, a little bit curious. What does he mean that there's antichrists who have already come? Everyone loves the concept of identifying who antichrist is. Right? There are a lot of people who have taken these wild guesses of who it is today. But rather than guessing who the antichrist is, you need to know something important. Whether antichrist is alive today or not, there are antichrist plural alive and among us. Some of you are looking at the person next to you like, are you it? Who, who, who are these antichrists? So let's break this down for just a moment before we continue. An antichrist, this is, this is according to the original language. This is something you may want to write down. An antichrist is someone who is anti-Christ. In other words, they're opposed to Christ. In other words, they join the rebellion. But the challenge is that a lot of these antichrists aren't coming from out there, they're coming from in here. They're coming from the church. And this is what makes them so dangerous and so powerful, is they look like us, act like us, talk like us, are us, but they're not us. And much like that famous story of a Trojan horse, over time, 
these people who are opposed to Jesus, even though they look like they have faith, they reveal themselves. Time reveals it. Okay, so let's go on and let's read a chunk right here, starting in verse 19. It says, these, he's talking about these antichrists, plural, not uppercase A antichrist, but plural. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, and now he talks to these people who are believers, true Jesus followers, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Now, typically, when that question is asked in the scriptures, who would you say the answer would be? Who's the liar? Satan, the great deceiver. But that's not who he's talking about here. Who's the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So notice that, not talking about Satan or the Antichrist. He's talking about people who join the rebellion and live in opposition to God and to Jesus. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning, what's he say next? Remains in you. Huge, important phrase. See that it remains in you. A knockoff reveals itself over time. Genuine faith does too. See that that truth remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us. What does Jesus promise to you who believe? Eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Okay, pause here and let's talk through this for a little bit. He, he says they left us. They went out from us because they were never really part of us. They never really belonged to us. And then he goes and explains it. So when I was a, 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 a teen, I read a book that influenced me greatly. It was this book. And it was about living in purity. It was about how to escape the dating scene and all of the immorality that went with it. And so as a young man, I just was deeply impacted by this book. And I made a commitment, partly because of this book, that I wanted to live in purity and that I, that I wanted to um, be married as a virgin. Um, little did I know, 200 miles away, another person, another teen was reading this book, a young, good-looking blonde lady, and she made the same commitment. And as God would have it, we met in Bible college. Two weeks after graduation, we got married, and we had kept the promise we had made to God as a result, partly from reading this book. A few years ago, the author of this book went public with his belief that his book had done far more damage than good. He doesn't want them sold anymore. He went public that he had divorced his wife, left his family, and he wanted people to know that he was no longer a Christian. 
never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that the guy who wrote this book, the guy who helped to guide me to a path of purity and Annie to a path of purity would walk away from the faith. Stunning, staggering. How could someone so influential, he was a pastor. His dad was a well-known traveling minister. How could he walk away? And I read this by John, and John says, listen, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Like, so what do I do with this book? Like, this book isn't bad. This book is good. This book is filled with truth, truth that changed my life. Now, here's the crazy part about God. Do you know that God can use anyone? Anyone. There was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar that God used. There was a guy named Samson that God used. There was a guy named Solomon that God used. He only had 700 wives. So God can use anyone. And God indeed did use this man to impact my life. But this man is not a true follower of Jesus. He was a fraud. He was a counterfeit. And eventually... James teaches us that a double-minded man is what in all his ways? Unstable. And eventually, he not only walked away from the faith, but what he's trying to do is take as many people with him as he can. And it would be really easy for me to be shaken from my faith. But I have to remember that my faith isn't based on an author. My faith is based on the author of my life. My faith isn't based on an author of a book that impacted me. My faith is based on the author of life, on the author of my faith. My faith is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to do my best to remain in him. But I need to be aware that there are people like this author who are here, all around me, maybe even in our church, who are not part of the family of God. Now, they're part of our church family, but they're not genuine in their faith. They're a Rolex that's a knockoff. Now, pause here for just a moment because some of you are thinking, okay, this is making me just suspicious. Like, how am I ever gonna trust someone else in this church or someone else around me? I don't even trust my kids anymore. Well, you already didn't. Don't worry about that. But, you know, you know maybe you're struggling with that. And, and we're already in a time of suspicion and fear and polarization. And so I just want to drop, drop a couple quick things on you in that regard. First of all, when you see someone leave the church, your church, this church, whatever church you're at, don't just automatically assume that they've pulled what this author did and they're walked away from Christ. Maybe they're going to another church. Okay, so, so don't just assume, okay, because you left my church that you're walking away from Jesus. Maybe they didn't, and maybe there's more to the story. And so don't just automatically assume because they left your church or maybe your service or you don't see them or whatever that they left the faith. That may not be the case. Maybe they're still walking with Jesus. Maybe they're still on team Jesus. But there's another thing that 
comes into play when it comes to someone who walks away from the faith, someone who genuinely walks away. Look at verse 27 to get a little bit more explanation here. It says this, as for you, now he's talking here to the people he believes are true believers, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. Because you might be sitting here and thinking, okay, if there's fraudulent people all around me who aren't true believers, what do I do about that? How do I deal with that? What if my faith is fraudulent? What do I do? He says, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. There's that phrase again, remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is, say it with me, real, not counterfeit, not a knockoff, just as it has taught you, what's his, what's his encouragement again? Remain in him. He, he's basically telling you, if you're a person of true faith, don't worry about it. Cool your jets, calm down. It's gonna be okay. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, no one can steal your faith. So these counterfeit Christians who are taking others away, they're they're joining the rebellion. Don't be scared of them because God's gonna help you have discernment. You're gonna be able to tell a counterfeit versus Versus genuine. He says that right here. You're, you're, you're going to be able to tell. You're not going to need additional teaching. You already know everything you need to know. Jesus puts it this way. Because again, some of you, you hear this kind of stuff and you get troubled. And you get personally troubled. You're not thinking about the counterfeits around you. You're worried about, well, am I a counterfeit? Maybe I believe now, but what if next year I don't believe anymore? Okay, look at what Jesus said. He said this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and read this with me. They follow me. What did we learned last week? Real Jesus followers follow Jesus. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Here's a clincher. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And then he continues, my father who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So when I used to do camp counseling, I would share this with young people, and they would often be unsure of their salvation, and is, is, is it genuine or real, and if it's real, is it going to last, and all that, and I'd, I'd share this with them, and We'd use an illustration. I'd, I'd put a, a, a pebble or a coin or a, a little something in my hand. I'd say, okay, this is in my hand. Jesus says if you're in him, if you follow him, you're in his hand, and no one will ever snatch you out. And then he says, my father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one could snatch them out of my father's hand. And then I'd go to the kids and I'd say, okay, go ahead and try to get the rock out. Well, no kid could ever get the rock out of my double-fisted grasp right? It just wasn't possible. Part of the reason is I was bigger than them. And that's the idea here. Jesus is like, God's bigger than anyone. And so if I've got you and God's got you, you're secure. You're not going anywhere. Like if your faith is genuine today, you don't have to be worried that it's going to be fraudulent tomorrow. I've got you, Jesus says. And my father who is greater than me 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. And so there's just this sense of confidence here that genuine faith stands up over time. Now, if you look out at our country right now and you look out at how things are shifting, have you noticed there's a shift going on? Have you noticed that we're getting quickly to become a country where evil things are called good and good things are called evil? And we're increasingly at a place, we've been talking about this for years, but we're increasingly at a faith where if you're going to believe the message of Jesus, you're going to face consequences for that. And if you're going to teach and preach and live the morality of Jesus, you're going to face consequences to that because how dare you ever say something out of line with the PC crowd? And so there's consequences if, you, if, you're not going to recom- if you're not going to compromise. And John just wants us to know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If you have genuine faith, no one's going to snatch that from you and no one's going to lead you astray. You say, well, well what do I do in the meantime though? Because I might still have a lot more time left on this earth and the longer time I have left, the more it could be revealed that maybe my faith isn't going to last. Well, that's why he keeps saying this phrase over and over, remain in him. Just remain in him. So, so let me just ask you before we finish this up, are, are you remaining in Jesus? You say, well, what does that mean? Remain in Jesus. Let me bring this up. About six months ago when we started the year, we talked about the importance of being in the word of God. How often? Every day. Every day. Right? And, I, and I gave a challenge to have a plan this year. And some of you took the challenge that I took you know, to read through the Bible in a year. Now, I'm, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you are still doing that. But I'm going to tell you something that motivates me. My 11-year-old daughter is still doing it six months into the year. And that motivates me to keep going because there's no way I'm going to give up and she's going to make it. Now, I'm not saying my faith and my salvation hinges on me getting through the Bible in a year. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this is how I remain in him. A steady diet of truth every day. I need it. Because I know how easy it is to fade away. I know how easy it is to fall away. And I've faded away before. And I don't want to fade away again. I was talking to someone this morning about this, about going through the Bible in a year, and he's got a plan that's different, going through some different books. And we just talked about having plans this year. And he he made the comment, either you have a plan or you're planning to fail. That's true. So, so let me ask you, we got six more months in this year. Maybe you need to get back on the wagon and get back in your Bible. Remaining in Jesus, Jesus is the truth. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. John wrote that. Maybe it's getting back into the word and remaining in Jesus by just feasting every day on a diet of his word. Who here wouldn't love some steak every day? You can have spiritual steak every day. Remain in Jesus. That's just one example. There's many others. But 
how are you remaining in Jesus? Verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him. He used a different word there. Instead of remain, continue. Continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Okay, this is good. This is really good. So we watched the doomsday video And what it brought to mind is when I was a a kid growing up in the church and we would hear prophecy taught and we'd hear people talk about the mark of the beast and the antichrist and all this stuff, the typical response from the church or from the Sunday school class or whatever it was, was fear. Are they the antichrist? Is that the mark of the beast? Is it the start of the end And there was this constant fear. But listen to what John says. Continue in him so when he appears, we may be fearful and terrified when he comes. No, we may be confident and unashamed. Listen, are you a child of God? Then you don't need to be cowering in fear. Are you a child of God? Then you don't need to run to your bunker to wait out the apocalypse. You can be on your feet, confident and unashamed the day Jesus comes back to take you home. And John just says, continue in him. And and so I really want to dispel this myth, especially as we get into the last hour. We're further into the last hour than John was 2,000 years ago. We're seeing things come to pass that looked like they were prophesied. We're seeing it in our lifetime. We're closer to this last days than anyone's ever been. We know that for a fact. The signs are going to become more obvious, and the response for Christians that normally is fear shouldn't be fear. It should be remaining in Christ. And that makes me confident and unashamed. Anybody awake? Try that again. If we're in the last days, rather than being fearful as the world shifts, I should be rooted so much in Christ that I'm standing confident and unashamed. And I think we need a new posture to get there. Confident and unashamed. Continue in Jesus. Listen, the doomsday clock, the end times, all of that can make us so anxious and worried. The Antichrist, the Antichrist. Listen, just continue in Jesus, and you're going to be fine. Continue in Jesus, and you're going to be unashamed when the clock strikes midnight. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him, born of Jesus. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Anyone else blown away that you get that name, that label? I am a child of God. Wow. And this is what we are. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are, he says it again, children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know, here's what we know, that when Christ appears, 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. What words of hope to end with this morning? When midnight hits on the doomsday clock, it will not be our destruction. It will be our day of transformation. It will be the day we get to trade in this body for a glorified body and we get to become like Jesus Christ. Who signed me up? Jesus already did sign me up. What am I thinking? Look at, look at Matthew 24. Look at this verse. But the one, why don't you read this with me just to bring this home here. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We don't need to fear the last days. We don't need to fear the end. We know what happens next. Antichrists and antichrist may terrify you. This world may scare you. But if your trust is in Jesus, you will not be swayed. You will not be swayed to join the rebellion and you will not be swayed by anyone who's in the rebellion. You will be shocked when people you thought were on the good side join the bad side. You will be shocked when people you thought were true believers reveal themselves as counterfeits and fraud and a fraud, but you will not be swayed. Because the one who endures to the end will be saved. Last week we learned that real faith obeys. This week it's really simple. Real faith endures. Real faith makes it across the finish line. <laughs> Look at Jesus' apostles. Those 12 guys. One guy punched out after three years. The others didn't. And you may be tempted to think, well, yeah, they didn't punch out because they were apostles, they were disciples, they were amazing. Have you read the story about those guys? Amazing and Simon Peter, I don't think so. Amazing and Bartholomew, I don't, amazing and Matthew, I don't, I mean, read any of their stories. None of them were amazing. All of them were scaredy cat, yellow livered chickens. None of them had the faith that could endure until they walked three years with Jesus and they learned how to remain in him. And when they got the spirit of God, they got a confidence they never had before. They came out of their hiding in the upper room and they gave their lives up for the cause of Jesus. And no one could sway them into the rebellion. Back in the 1940s, there was two young men who were becoming quite famous as evangelists. They were traveling Canada and the U.S. and beyond, sharing the good news of Jesus. Their names were Charles and Billy. And back in the 1940s, as people heard these two gifted young men sharing the truth about Jesus, they thought, man, these guys are going to change our world. But one of those two is supremely gifted, and he's probably going to go to the whole world and share Jesus with them. And that more gifted one, the much better communicator, the much more fiery and passionate evangelist was a guy named Charles Templeton. Charles was close friends with Billy. 
And one day he shocked Billy and some of his other friends by saying he had doubts. Doubts about his faith. Doubts about the Bible. Doubts about God. Finally, it came to a head, and he challenged his friend Billy. This is not rational. This book is not logical. And this book's not true. And Billy got alone with God. And Billy came to the conclusion that, yeah, there was a lot in this book he didn't understand. But he was going to choose to have faith in the author of this book. His friend Charles walked away quite publicly from the faith. He lived until 2001, 86 years old, and he became a prominent atheist. His final book was titled Farewell to God. But he said something about his friend Billy. He said this, there is no feigning in him, no faking, no counterfeit. He believes what he believes with, his, with an invincible innocence. He is the only mass evangelist I would trust. Till the day Charles died, he admired his friend, Billy Graham. Because he saw in Billy something he didn't have. Genuine faith. <laughs> and the, the tale, the true tale of Charles and Billy is a tale that's written every day in every church, in every land. There are some with genuine faith and there are others with knockoff faith. Time reveals the truth. But those with genuine faith they make it across the finish line. Real faith endures. Those who make it to the end will be saved. My friends, we have an awesome God who has given us rock-solid truth. I can choose to put my trust in myself, in authors, in people, or I can choose to put my trust in a God who will never change and believe a book that will never be revised. Because I desire to remain in him, to continue in him. And I would love to have friends like Charles who say, I might not believe but your belief is genuine. Your belief is pure. There's no faking it with you. Would you bow with me? Let's just take a moment this morning and let me just ask you the question, are you remaining in Jesus? And if you are, then, then I just ask you, well, what does that look like? How, how do you know you're remaining in Jesus? None of this was about earning your salvation or earning your way to heaven because you can't, you never could. Jesus paid the only price that could ever be paid to rescue you from 
from death and from hell. He gave his life to redeem you. He gave his life in your place to purchase your forgiveness. So remaining in him isn't about earning your way to heaven. It's about having a genuine faith that stays rooted in Jesus. Let me ask you, my friend, are you feasting on the word of God on a regular basis? Now, maybe you say, Justin, I'm just too busy. Listen, if you're too busy to remain in Jesus, you're too busy. Are you remaining in Jesus every day, feasting on his word? Are you remaining in Jesus every day, spending time talking with him? Are you remaining in Jesus on a regular basis, getting together with other Jesus followers and challenging and encouraging each other? Are you remaining in Jesus, my friends? The world will push on you. These, these antichrists will compel you and sway you. But if you are rooted in Jesus Christ, your faith cannot and will not ever fade. For a moment, let me talk to those of you who are a little concerned that maybe your faith is fake. Listen, I've got really good news for you. If your faith is fake, Jesus knows how to convert it to genuine faith. You're not doomed just because you feel like you have fake faith. You're not doomed until the day you take your last breath. Jesus is holding out his offer of forgiveness. He's holding out genuine faith to you and asking you to believe. Counterfeit faith won't get you to the finish line, but true faith in Jesus will. I encourage you to have the faith to believe. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the kind of faith that will endure. And the posture that we need to take as followers of Jesus is to be confident and unashamed because we're remaining in him. And so we need to adopt this idea of humble need for Jesus. Lord, I, I need you. I, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I bring myself, I lay it down. I need you. I can't do this without you. Jesus, I want to remain in you. Jesus, I want to continue in you. Father, my prayer, even this morning as we sing some more, is, is that we would be able to express from our heart our need for you. Thank you for birthing in my heart genuine faith. God, help me, help us to be ready for your appearing and to one day be able to stand confident and unashamed. And it is in Jesus' awesome name we pray, the name that's above every name. Amen. 